Welcome to the Vineyard Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at vkcwest.com. Last Sunday, we looked at uh, the Magi uh, that came from the East uh, to worship Jesus. And then we looked at a camel that, that was along the way. We looked at how both of these characters in the birth of Jesus actually, um, they actually uh, like decided to give a gift to Jesus. And it was really the gift of faith, uh, the gift of faith in worship, and then the gift of, of faith um, in wandering or journeying, right? A lot of times in life when we, when we feel like we're not getting anywhere, uh, we say, well, are we there yet? And, and a lot of times God gets the brunt of that. God, what are you doing? And so like the camel to give the gift of, hey, let's just sit down and knowing that God is with us, that he's walking with us. We don't always have to get there so fast. And so today what we're looking at is we're looking at Joseph, the adopted father of Jesus. And then we're looking at this character called the innkeeper, right? You've probably heard like there was no room in the inn. The, the innkeeper uh, uh, you know, said no to Mary and Joseph and Jesus. And, and we'll, we'll look at that. We'll see you know, what's true of that and what's not true. Uh, because stories get pushed around over time. And so uh, what we see Joseph and the innkeeper do, though, is we see them make space for God. We see them like open up their lives in a way so that God would have space in their lives and that his kingdom would bring space. And so um, when God works in somebody's life, what he wants us to do is he wants us to co-create with him. And there's the co-creating of space for him. Because God, if, if he's God, he's all-powerful. He, he's, he's, he's omnipotent. And so he can do absolutely anything that he wants. True? Right? He's, 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 nothing limits him. And so sometimes you can look at your life and you say, well, God, why don't you just do it? And God says, well, because I want to do it with you. That's how he does things. And so that's what we see our two characters do today. And, you know, the key characteristic that I think the scripture thinks talks about, but then also I think characteristic that I think that we see active in, in life is that for God to work in someone's life, for God to have someone co-create, there has to be humility. And sometimes the world gets it wrong when it comes to humility. Uh, you know, we think it's like, uh, um, like humble, like you'll hear the term like humble beginnings or that sort of thing. And it's almost like a, a humble is a bad thing. But biblical humility is an absolute dependence upon God. And it's actually the pushing away many times of the things that you see to actually the things that are by faith. And so it's, it's just an absolute dependence upon God. The person that is humble, it does not mean that they don't act. It does not mean that they aren't bold. It does not mean any of those things, but it actually means that they're so dependent upon God and what he wants to do. And so they push away other things. And so Peter, quoting Proverbs 3, verse uh, 34, he wrote this in his first, first letter. He said, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And grace is like a river, right? Um, I, you know, grace, when you're in God's grace, you can float down the river. When it seems like grace has run out, we got to check our hearts. We've got to check our hearts and say, hey, you know, where's my heart? Am I depending upon God or am I, I'm going to based upon my own knowledge and the things that I know? 
And so that's what we're looking at today is this idea of co-creating with God with the key focus on humility. And so let's look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, and we see Joseph create space for God in difficulty, okay? Um, you know, it's, it's fun, like when you're doing well and things are going well, and, and you're just like, hey, yeah, God, let's keep going. Things are good. But what does a godly person do when things don't work out the way that they want to? What does a godly person do when, when they are doing things like right and they're doing things great and they have integrity and all those things, but then it doesn't work out the way that they thought it should? Like, really, they didn't do anything wrong. Like you can read the book of Job, right? In the Old Testament. He's like, really, I didn't do anything. His, his best friends are like, you're a loser. You know you did something. He's like, no, I really didn't. And Job just says, I won't curse God. I'll worship God. I'll keep going after. And there's great humility in that. But so creating space for God in difficulty. Verse 18 of chapter one, we see this story of Joseph. So this is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Recently, there was a, um, uh, there was like a, somebody tried to take science and, uh, and say, hey, here's actually how God could do this within the laws of natural science. So in other words, um, you know, in other words, you could prove it, that this is the way God could do it from this way. And so it, interesting article, uh, but it's kind of a moot point. Again, if God doesn't have to operate within the natural laws and those things, he's God. I mean, that's, I mean, don't you want a God that you can't stick in your pocket and pull out and show people? Like he can, he's, he's bigger than that. You can't get your arms around him. Like the God has to be awe and wonder. And so, yeah, he could do it in a way that exactly this, but he did a miracle. And that's what we see in the virgin birth. In verse 19, it says, Joseph, to whom she was engaged, which was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. But he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born and Joseph named him Jesus. So Matthew tells the story of the birth of Jesus from the perspective of Joseph. And so this is Joseph wandering through, telling him what was happening, what was happening. So there was three stages of marriage within the Jewish, Jewish culture in the day of Jesus. And so first you had the engagement. And the engagement would happen when the children were very young. You would have two families come together and, and before they could even really choose. And, you know, it's just like, okay, they're engaged. And then they would be engaged until they entered teens, you know, early, late teens and into marrying age, you know, they married much younger back then. Uh, they didn't live quite as long. And um, during that time, it would be called a betrothal period. And But during that time, you were considered married, although you did not consummate the marriage. It was, it was what we would call engagement, but 
It was much more serious. And actually during that time, if you wanted to call things off, you would actually have to divorce. It was, a, it was actually the process of divorce during that betrothal period. So the New Living Translation, which we read just now, uh, it plays around with the words a little bit. Uh, it puts engagement where really it means betrothal. Um, it puts engagement because we understand betrothal as engagement. And then it also, it, the word at the end where it says Joseph's going to call it off, it says like he, that he would divorce her quietly. Because usually you, it would be this big process where they would, uh, you know, bring in front of people and do this big thing. And so, but it's showing that Joseph was, uh, was a godly man. He's trying to honor her. And so, but it says that Joseph, while Joseph was considering this, now the word consider there, it's this idea of like, you know, like your dryer, you know, that, that just dries clothes and it just goes around and round and round and round. It's revolving. That's what this consider word means. You know, you ever have something happen or you need to make a decision and, and that's what your brain is doing. It's just revolving these thoughts over and over. What are we going to do here? So as, as Joseph's doing that, an angel comes to him and he says to him, he says, look, God is doing something. God is doing something. And he's doing not just something, but the thing. And so he quotes the prophet Isaiah, and he says, this is the thing that God's doing. God's Messiah, God's salvation, the Savior of the world, all the stuff that you see messed up in the world, God is making that right, and he's bringing the Messiah into the world, and he's doing it through Mary and you. Will you say yes? Will you say yes? So Joseph, he has to make a hard choice. He's already experiencing great difficulty walking through this. This isn't really how he wanted to start his marriage. But now what happens is, is he has to make a choice for even greater difficulty. You see, he would, what we read and see and we can imagine is that he would pay a, a high price for, for how he would pay the price of his godly reputation. We can look back with hindsight and say, this is a godly man. This is a man that didn't get things the way he wanted, and yet he decided to honor God and partner with God and create space for God to do what he wanted to do. But his godly re reputation would be out the door, as they would say, they would either say, you know, this was, uh, you know, this was the, the, the child of another man, or it was, it's your child, and you, you consummated the marriage uh, before you were supposed to, and, and you know, all these things, all the rumors that went on, you can actually read in John chapter 8, a couple of times when they speak to Jesus, they speak to him and they say, they're talking about his father. Well, who's your father? And we're not illegitimate people. And so even as Jesus was in his great time of ministry and doing great miracles of God and all these things, people were saying, hey, your story's a little messed up. And it gives us great encouragement, right? Because I don't know about you, but my story's a little messed up, you know? And so, and, and people get all kinds of ideas about things and, but, the key thing is, though, is will you do what God asks you to do? Uh, he probably lost friends. You know, he probably lost lifelong friends for doing what God wanted him to do. Um, and he, he definitely lost stability or normalcy, right? His life was even threatened. As you read Matthew chapter 2, you actually see that King Herod uh, uh, came and he was going to actually try to uh, kill all of the children under a certain age when the Magi came so that he would get rid of the Messiah, the King. 
And so, so he had, he, the angel came to him again and said, Hey, get your family, flee to Egypt, go there, be there. And I'll tell you when to come back. He gets up and goes again. So <clears throat> stability, normalcy is all gone. His reputation, it's, it's, a, it's a bad scene. But he says yes to God. And so co-creating with God in difficulty. You, you have one choice, which is like, I'm going to go after God and I'm going to petition God to change this thing. I mean, that's my normal reaction. Things are uncomfortable. Well, God, you must be calling me to intercede. Let's go. I'm going to take this thing on, right? But what I'm trying to learn how to do is to say, God, what are you doing? What do you think about this? Do you have a bigger purpose here? You know, are there lives of other people that you want to touch? Are there people that need to be included here or move here that that you're doing? How can I yield to you? So wrestle with God. But don't put all of our energy into just like, God, change it, God, change it, God, change it. Because what if God is doing a great thing through this? What if he's doing an incredible thing? And as you do that more often, as you lean into God and say, God, what do you think? God, what do you want? Is this you? Then as bigger things come up, when they happen in difficulty, you're actually able to say like, okay, this is you. And so I'm just, I'm yielding to this. Or, hey, actually, you want me to co-create in fighting against this. And so that's what they do. Uh, when I think about this, I think about my friends, um, Mike and Christy Colley. Uh, Michelle and I and the boys, we met them when we moved to Colorado in 2005 to, uh, to pastor a vineyard church. And Mike and Christy were uh, planting a, a new vineyard church in Castle Rock, Colorado. So just, just down the road from where we were in Colorado Springs. And they were serving at a bunch of different churches and very, very gifted people. And they, they felt like God wanted them to plant a church in Castle Rock. And, and they planted there and it got going pretty good. But I, I think after about four or five years, they ended up shutting it down. It just didn't get traction and get going. And there were churches planted at the same time in Castle Rock that really grew leaps and bounds. Um, their church, they built good relationships. People came to know Jesus. Good stuff happened, but it just wasn't sustainable. So they've, they laid it down. And, but during that time, uh, they had built relationships with the other pastors in the area. And so Mike ended up going to another church, this new covenant church down the road in Larksburg. And, and long story short, he ended up taking over from that long-term founding pastor at that church um, and wasn't a vineyard church and vineyard-ish. And, 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 and then he became the pastor there. He decided to honor the pastor that was there and, and, and he stayed on and he would have him teach and do those things. And, and so it's just this big process. And, and it came full circle that through difficulty, it didn't work out that the way that they wanted. And now uh, Mike uh, ended up uh, the founding pastor at another big vineyard that, that he was serving at before, uh, st- uh, stepped down. And, and so he, now he has both those churches and he's influenced in these ways. And so, but Mike and Christy could have said, well, God's not with us. Uh, you know, because this this initial work in this area didn't work, but but God was, but they chose to just say, God, where are you at in this? Because if they hadn't gone to that place, to Castle Rock, the other thing wouldn't have happened. They wouldn't have met the other people where they ended up. So the bigger picture. So when you step out or you're doing something or you're going after God and, and it's uncomfortable or difficult, don't think that God doesn't have something on the other side of that. See, many times what he's doing is he's making you the person that can have the, the bigger thing or the better thing 
or the thing that you really want. And so he's working in you and he's with you and he never leaves you in it. And he, you know, Jesus, he experienced the greatest difficulty. He experienced, you know, all sorts of stuff. I mean, isn't that the story of our faith? Jesus, God come in the flesh, and but now he's going to lay down his life and he's going to be defeated. He's going to be crucified on a cross, experience horrible pain, experience horrible, not just physical, but emotional, uh, where people betray him and, and work against him and do these things. And yet all through it, actually God's creating the best thing ever, which is to make things right between God and man. See, that's the ultimate example. And so God works that in our lives as well. Now, the next area that we see is we see the innkeeper uh, creating space for God in inconvenience, right? There's inconvenience and there's, there's awkward situations and, and we can co-create with God in those too. So Luke chapter two, verse one, it says, at that time, the Roman emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman empire. This was the first census taken when Curianus was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for their baby to be born. Now listen, she gave birth to her firstborn son. She, was wrapped, she wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. So that's where they, they basically get the idea that, you know, that, that there's no room in the inn, right? It's a term that people use and throw, there's no room in the inn. There's no space for me. There's no space for that here. And we see it first with Jesus, the king. And so uh, what was happening during this time was um, Jesus was born into a world much like today, uh, where appearances ruled the day, where appearance and surface level is what gets what shouts the loudest or gets the biggest noise is what gets the most attention. But just like then, and you know, just like now, underneath the appearances, you really have a deep hunger of people for God. You know, we get taken away by flashy things and shiny objects and things. But at the end of the day, what we really long for is substance. We really long for something real. You know, I, I've told a couple of times, we, we grew up out in the country kind of like this, and we had a little creek that ran through our property. And so I would always pan for gold, you know, and, and, and uh, I wasn't very good at it, but every once in a while I'd come across something and I'd go running up the hill and I'm like, we're rich, we're rich, we're rich. We've got gold. And every time my dad said, that's fool's gold. I'm like, fool's gold. I didn't know there was different types of gold. I just want gold. And, uh, you know, that's how we are, right? We get so excited. Like, this is the real thing. This is the thing that's going to make me whole. This is the thing that's going to make things all right. This is the thing that's going to make me really the person I'm supposed to be. And yet, really, there's only one thing, which is Jesus. And so tower building and brand building was rampant during that day as it is today. And, and you know, and, and it's just uh, the strength of the towers and the shine of the brands would be shown faulty as it is today, right? The only thing that lasts is, is God and his word and what he's going to do. So Caesar Augustus that it talks about here, uh, his name was actually Octavian. And so Octavian was one of several uh, generals that after Julius Caesar was assassinated, Julius Caesar was Octavian's uncle. 
Uh, and uh, these generals had it out. There's a bloodbath. And Octavian won out. And in that, uh, he brought about uh, Pax Romana, which wasn't like real true peace or lasting peace, but it was the absence of war. And so, uh, and this is when really the Roman Empire became the Roman Empire. Before, they prided themselves on being a republic, which was they were ruled by laws, not by a man, even though there was Julius Caesar and this kind of the appearance of this. And, uh, but Augustus, who changed his name, uh, Augustus actually means exalted and sacred. And so this is where the Caesar all of a sudden kind of got this worship that the people now saw the Caesar as a god. And so he really became the first Roman emperor. Well, he put this census out and the, the purpose was is for taxes, okay? He wanted to figure out how can I tax appropriately and fairly for all these different lands. And so he sent everybody home where they're supposed to be to count where they're supposed to be. And so this is, it's said that this is the first time that a man said jump and the world jumped because everyone went back to where they're supposed to be. And yet you look at this and you say, wow, what power that this man has, what power and how he must have felt so incredibly powerful and strong and mighty. He really was just a puppet because the prophet Micah 700 years earlier wrote that the Messiah would be born of a virgin in Bethlehem. So God needed to get Joseph and Mary and Jesus to where? To Bethlehem. And so he's pulling the strings of Augustus. And what does he do? He gets Joseph and Mary and Jesus to Bethlehem. And that's how it always is, you guys. You know, there's always, you know, there's always somebody higher than all of us, which is God. He's the highest one. He's the highest of highs. And he ultimately is in charge of everything. And really, Caesar was really a false uh, savior. A fa he was a political savior. He did many wise things. But the true savior, Jesus, that actually could not just save politics or government or people or systems or things, but, but he could really save the whole being, the whole person. You know, body, soul, spirit. That's who was coming. And so let's look at the part where it says no room in the inn. Let's think about that, okay? So the, the way that the homes were built is that you had the main level home, and then you had an upper room, which if you see all throughout uh, the New Testament, you'll talk about them going to the upper room. The disciples would meet in the upper room, it looks like, of uh, Peter's uh, mother-in-law. Uh, but then there was a lower room that isn't that talk, talked about as much. So you have the main house, upper room, lower room. So the upper room, that's actually the Greek word for that is kataluma, uh, and it means like a guest room. So that's the word that Luke uses here. He uses it later on, later on in Luke, and he, he speaks of it as a guest room. So we must assume that he means here. There was, there's another Greek word that actually means like in, like a, like a lodging house. Luke doesn't use that here. Luke is a doctor. He's very specific about the words that he uses. He wants the right idea be, to be communicated. So Bethlehem was also a small town. There, there may not have been an inn or a lodging place there. So Mary and Joseph, the first thing they would have done when they got there was to actually go find their relatives. And so, but remember, uh, you know, it wasn't quite like TMZ and the paparazzi during this time, but I'm sure the rumor got 
somehow what was going on. Did you hear about Joseph and Mary and all the different ideas that were flying around and all the, you know, people trying to figure it out. And then, you know, the census is coming and maybe this relative thought, oh no, what if they come here? What's that going to look like on me? Like, you know, I mean, people are going to talk and, and, you know, in the idea of sin and, and all these different ideas come in. And, and yet this relative, actually, when they came there, what it's just saying is it's saying that the upper room was full. So there wasn't any more space. And I mean, I look at it though, like, well, how many other pregnant women about to give birth were there? I mean, shouldn't you have given the upper room? But I don't know, details, Right. Kind of like when a woman walks into a room, you stand, you know, or, or you give your seat away so they sit down, that sort of thing. And so, um, um, I don't know, that's how my grandfather taught me, right? You do that. And so you think maybe they should have made space for Mary, the, the pregnant woman that's about to have a baby. But what they do instead is they actually give them the lower room. Now, the lower room was, uh, was similar to maybe some of your mud rooms, Okay. Uh, except when the, when the, you had inclement weather and the weather was real bad, they would actually put the animals, uh, some of the, the livestock there as well that couldn't be out in the cold. And so that's why you have a manger in there, which was really a feeding trough and, and Jesus was laid in, in the feeding trough. And so I look at it and I say, well, the innkeeper or the relative or the holder of the guest room, while we could sit there and look and say, you know, they didn't really give the best space to Mary and Joseph, but they didn't know a whole lot. But what they did do is they did make space. They co-created this space there. And what's interesting is, is that they co-created space just the way that God wanted them to, because it was told that this is how the, the baby would be born and put into this place. And so it must have been terribly inconvenient. It must have been terribly awkward. Like the knock on the door comes and it's like, hey. How's it going? And then all of a sudden, everybody else is looking through. Who is it? Who is it? Who's here? And oh, and it, what did you did you hear? And it struck all throughout. It's like, do you have room? Well, that's full, but you can go to the lower room. And they're there. And and you, I think, to bring a better picture of it, you know, probably the 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 cousins and the aunts and and the other people there, they probably came as Mary was giving birth and probably helped and and walked her through it and and helped care for him and and brought the cloths that were there. So so I think there's a better picture here of the family. But what they did is they made room, even though it was inconvenient, even though it was awkward, they made room. And equivalent of this is is like. You know, I think that the innkeeper or the relative is all of us, right? Like, do we have room in our lives for Jesus? And some may say, well, which Jesus, right? You know, you've got the rock star Jesus, you know, and in the rock star Jesus, he's just like, you know, you know, you're a rock star if he's a rock star, you know, and everything's just like tops. Okay. You know, uh, or is it just like the distant Jesus? He just kind of does things and then floats away, you know, different things. Like he's not even a real person, a real character. Or the real Jesus. You know, like do we have room for the real Jesus? The real Jesus that, that when we get religious and that our hearts go cold to other people. And, you know, the real Jesus that comes and says, hey, you know what? Like your heart towards other people, that shows your real heart towards me. Because whatever you do to the least of these, you do to me. 
you know, uh, the real Jesus that would come. And, and it didn't matter what anybody did. It didn't matter absolutely what anybody did. Jesus would go and be with them. But it was based upon their response to him. If there was a humility, if there was an openness, Jesus could do all kinds of things in their lives. But if they were pushed away and, and, just, and just keep him at arm's distance, I mean, think about that. That God who can do anything does not force himself upon us. He says, look, I have so much for you, but will you work with me? And it, it's kind of like this. I, I was thinking lately, my kids are big now. And, and like my, my son Wyatt is a freshman in college. And, and I have these moments, these dad moments where I sit there, I'm like, man, and, and now I'm like the one. He comes up, hey, man, how's it going? What do you want to do? What's going on, right? Because he's not always there. Well, what's going on? And, and, and uh, uh, it's like Cat in the Cradle, right? You know that song? Horrible song. You know, whoever wrote, that's just, I mean, you listen to that and the dad and all this stuff, you know, but it makes you cry. And, 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 but but it's, it's, I was thinking about it and I was thinking last night, I'm like, man, I remember times when I was, when Wyatt was a little guy and he's like, hey, dad, what you doing? And I, and I'm kind of like, well, I'm, I'm doing this. In other words, like you wouldn't understand or, or I've got to do this or I've got a deadline or I've got to get this thing done or, or this isn't of interest to you. And, but I look back in the times that like my kids were little and I'm like, and I'm sitting there, I'm like, I'm like, oh yeah, come look at this. It made it so much better. It made it so much better. Just that childlikeness, that, that curiosity of a little child bringing into those things and projects became more fun as I sat there looking at it. And, you know, it just opened it up. And I just think that when it comes to space for Jesus, I think that we're kind of like that. That Jesus comes to us over and over again by the Holy Spirit and, and we're at work and he's like, hey, what you doing? Well, you wouldn't understand. You know, when we have, we have issues in our relationships and our marriages or with our children or, or the people we work with and, and Jesus comes and he says, hey, what you doing? Well, you wouldn't understand. You know, or we're hurt or we're offended or, or something happens bad to us. And he says, hey, what you doing? It's like, well, you wouldn't understand. And yet it's clear that Jesus experienced everything we experienced and yet did not sin and yet lived a perfect life. And so now he comes and he comes so close that whatever we're going through, we can say, actually, I need you in this. And he's been there. He understands it. And he walks with us. And sometimes, yes, there's the miracle, instantaneous, and it changes. Other times, he walks through it. Because healing takes time. But he always with us. That's actually what he says. He says, says, I will always be with you, is what he tells his disciples the last thing. Told them what they'd give them and all these things. But the biggest thing he told them is, I will always be with you. And yet, that's the humility of heart. Yeah. The humility of heart, like, will I allow him to come with me? Will I allow him to walk with me? You know, when I was, uh, I moved when I was uh, in middle school, uh, new school, small town to another small town. And, um, I, you know, I was so focused, okay, I'm going to be popular at this school. And I was so not popular, you know, like, Okay, that's how they dress here. Okay, you know, it was back when they, you pegged the pants and stuff. You guys remember that? I think they're doing it again. Some of you know, do that thing. And so I'm like, okay, that's the look and that's the shirt and thing. So I'd go shop and, and my parents were like, okay, what do you need? I'm like, why, well, this is what I need. And so I do it and, and it just, it looks so unlike, 
you know, all the cool stuff and those things. And, and, and then uh, I, I, I actually, I look back upon this. It was a real breaking character. Like there was a group of a few guys that I was friends with when I first moved there and we had fun together, but then there was like the cool crowd. And, and I'm like, I'm like, Hey, I, w- I want to get in with a cool crowd. And so, so with those guys, like I started hanging out with some of them and I stopped hanging out with those guys. And I remember one time, one of them says, Oh, so you're cool now. And it's just like, it was such a lack, right? It was just like, oh, can you come along? And I think sometimes we're like that way with Jesus. Like, nah, I don't want the one that created everything to like help me in my work. You know, ah, I don't really want the one that created everything to help me in my marriage. Nah, I don't, I mean, you can go on and on and on. Because somehow, I don't know how it's happened, but somehow Jesus like all of a sudden like doesn't seem cool. I don't know what it is. But if you read what I read, and if you see what I see, he is everything. You know, I, all of us are given, you know, a certain number of years here. Now, I've always set out that when I walk through that door that's called death, but it's actually to eternity, I want there to be as little shock when I see Jesus face to face as possible, that I would know him as much as I could. I know I'm going to be shocked. I know I'm going to be overwhelmed, but I I want there to be as little a transition as possible. You know, the writers of the New Testament say that, that these three remain, Paul wrote, you know, in Corinthians, you know, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Why? Because faith and hope we need here. You know, when I say I want to know him, I don't, I don't see him physically. I don't see him in front of my eyes. I don't see I have to have faith. I have to have hope. But hope is surety. But love is what lasts throughout all time. And so that's what we celebrate today. May you, may you, may you, may you be full of God's love. May you know that he's with you. And it's as simple as like, I need you. I need your help. Come help me with this. Come help me in my difficulty. Come help me in the, in the awkwardness of this time. Come and be with me. Because remember, everybody's looking for the real thing. And when they know you have it, watch out. They're drawn to it. They want it. Thanks for listening this week. If you are looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, go to vkcwest.com.